historically, I think there's been a misconception amongst brands that the value in men's sports is reaching the male 18 to 34. And so they just assume, oh, a women's sport, it must be all women watching it. But like you will talk about like women's college basketball, it, yeah. there's as many men watching as watching men's college basketball. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, innovation, entertainment, all different kinds of things. I'm your co-host or the co-host, Joe Favorito, flying solo this week towards the end of August as my co-host Tom Richardson is off doing some end of August type of things. Uh, so I'm joined by our producer, Sam Marks, who's joining us from Utrecht, the Netherlands, before he comes back for his final semester of class. Sam, thanks for uh, dipping in from across the pond. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about a topic we really haven't gone into, which is the apparel side and kind of the growth of what people have called athleisure over the years. But um, really a, a brand that started as a challenger brand has really risen up way beyond challenger uh, with someone who's been in some really interesting spots in her career, uh, which she'll go through um, and kind of talk about what Athleta is doing today, but also kind of how she got there probably the more interesting story. So Jen Rottenberg, Head of Partnerships at Athleta, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Cool. So Jen, why don't you kind of take everybody through the, uh, the circuitous path of your career, which included a really recent stop uh, at Fan Control Football, uh, and how someone goes from that kind of like unique um, startup uh, disruptive environment to you know, a company really on the cusp of, of what people are wearing and walking around with these days. Yeah. Well, I think circuitous is a great uh, identifier for how my career has kind of gone. So just I'll quickly kind of give you guys uh, the context from way back background. So coming out of uh, graduate school, I got my first job in the industry at IMG and I was in the licensing group in New York City. And, uh, and kind of just very excited to have my foot in the door in the sports industry and thought it was going to be uh, this, you know, wonderful uh, place where I would grow in my career. And not too long into that experience, I was actually approached by the folks um, involved with the U.S. women's soccer team uh, that had just come off winning the 1996 Olympic gold medal, the first uh, time women's soccer was in the Olympics. And uh, obviously we had not yet gotten to the seminal 1999 Women's World Cup. And uh, those folks wanted to start a professional league. They saw the uh, start, the um, starting up of the WNBA and the ABL on the women's basketball front. They saw the starting up of MLS and they said, why not us? And so um, uh, just from a variety of connections, I was uh, reached out to and met with uh, then coaches, uh, Tony DiCicco and Lauren Gregg, and then met with a bunch of the players at the time, names that are of course household names now, Julie Bowdy and Brady Chastain and Mia Hamm and, and Christine Lilly and the rest of them and ended up leaving IMG to try to help start women's professional soccer back in the mid nineties. And that was actually the first time when I was involved with an entrepreneurial venture. And I didn't really realize or make a conscious decision at the time that I wanted to be an entrepreneur or I wanted to be involved in startups, but 
I had an amazing experience with us trying to get it going. Also an extremely frustrating experience. Um, the uh, relationship between the players and the US Soccer Federation historically always been contentious. And it was um, an opportunity that had to wait until after the 99 World Cup for a variety of reasons that we do not have seven hours for this uh, podcast. So I will spare you all the details, but that was really the first entrepreneurial venture. and. Uh, from there, I ended up um, uh, coming out here from New York uh, to California and working with American Golf Corporation on a women's and golf initiative and then working for another startup when the tech world started to kind of uh, uh, grow from from nowhere uh, and worked for a company called E-Teams, which was eventually acquired by the Active Network and then worked for another startup that went through two acquisitions uh, during my time there, but it had started in its roots in soccer, then went to a boutique soccer marketing agency and spent a while there and uh, then left to start my own venture that I ran uh, for three years. And uh, again, very heavily involved during that time in, in things women's sports related, including launching a women's uh, golf tournament and doing a lot of work uh, back again with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team Players Association. And then went to spend five years at USA Water Polo, uh, the women's national team, the men's national team, the youth, all of it. And I had a wonderful, wonderful experience there. Um, the NGB world is a very interesting one. That's a whole separate podcast uh, that we could go into. Um, and from there, I went to work uh, with a gentleman named Tim Schneider, uh, who uh, had started a company called Sports Travel and ran a conference called the Teams Conference. So some of you might be aware of, of, of those businesses but worked with him for several years until we helped him sell that business and then uh, and then got to fan control football, yet another startup. And so I actually have had this progression of various startups that I've worked for or starting my own over the course uh, of a couple decades here, fan control football. From the moment I heard the, uh, the concept, you know, we're going to take live action football and mash it up with uh, video game play, I said, this cannot be real. Uh, and then I found out that it was real and I thought it was right on the cutting edge of where, you know, everything was kind of going in this um, tangential to the metaverse and uh, and really unique opportunity. So I spent four years with them. A lot of the typical ups and downs of a startup in terms of fundraising. Um, and of course, then the pandemic hit and that threw a, a number of wrenches into what we were trying to do. But eventually we got there, got our first season live and it was quite successful in terms of, you know, on a relatively small uh, budget with the money we had raised uh, in terms of, you know, viewership that we had on our Twitch broadcast and engagement and um, social media engagement and registered participants and uh, all, all those great things and got a lot of uh, interesting folks uh, involved with it from, you know, Marshawn Lynch to Austin Eckler and Richard Sherman and others gave us a lot of credibility and, and had a great experience with that. Um, part of my responsibilities there also included all of our corporate sponsorship uh, and partnerships. And we got great brands involved like Wendy's and Progressive and Gatorade and just had um, an overall great experience there as well. And uh, And then this opportunity came up to come work for Athleta and I was, uh, as I was mentioning to you, Joe, uh, before we kind of got going, it's it's literally 180 degrees different. Went from, you know, a startup that full-time employees, we had probably 25 to a brand that has about 5,000 employees within a larger 
corporate structure of 130,000 employees. Um, if you think about mashing up American football and video gameplay, you would assume, and you would be correct, that the most of the audience is men. Uh, here, our customer base is virtually all female. Um, and so just, you know, completely different. Also, uh, very heavy um, male on the employee side at Fan Control Football here at Athleta. Virtually all of the leadership team and, you know, a very large proportion of the employees are women. So very different kind of work oh. environment. And, uh, and so in general, just, uh, just a really different kind of scenario. And, and you talked about the apparel industry and athleisure. And uh, when I took this position, having all this background, we're up in all sorts of partnerships, whether starting at IMG and licensing partnerships to fan control football, corporate sponsorships um, to, you know, athlete representation elements with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team Players Association and every, anything and everything in between. The one thing I didn't think about when I took this job was I'm going to work in retail. <laughs> and uh and it's a whole different world it is not the sports industry and uh, and there's a lot of different uh, aspects to that that i hadn't um you know necessarily thought about when i when i made the, the jump but it's been a very interesting learning experience and one that i didn't necessarily think that i would have at this point in my career so a couple things one is i will talk about athletic in a couple of minutes and the partnerships that you have and, the, and how the brands advance but as you were talking, I think I wrote down seven different startups, pretty much seven different startups throughout Sounds the course right. of, yep. of your career. Common theme in any of them and the most unique thing from one startup to the next, would you say? Very interesting question. Common theme, I think, would be at any given time, an opportunity that really did feel like new and different, you know? Um, and uh, and something that was gonna bring something new to the market. So mm -hmm. I, I liked that. Um, and, and also, I don't know, I think really the challenge of it, I think that's a common mm -hmm. theme as well. Just the idea of, uh, of really actually being kind of the challenger and um, making something out of nothing. These are things that, you know, when I was back in school, I didn't realize this was my personality or my persona, but yep. you know, now I'm, I'm sort of heading on the other side of things and looking back and realizing, Oh yeah, these are, this is, these are common themes. I followed mm -hmm. passions. I followed new ideas and I've really enjoyed the process of creating. Um, so mm -hmm. I think, I think those are common and then unique, uh, you know, that's interesting. I mean, some are, have been very heavy tech focused, uh, you know, mm -hmm. fan control football, very tech focused. Um, the golf tournament was very celebrity driven, which was interesting mm -hmm. and an interesting group to kind of work with. And that was, you know, very much from scratch, but I got to flex really interesting muscles in terms of we, we also produced it for television. And it was really my first foray into understanding how to do that. We worked in syndication. Nobody even thinks about syndication anymore, but uh, it's a real thing. And it was a really great opportunity for us to not spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get on NBC, but instead syndicate and end up on NBC on a weekend afternoon paying nothing. So, uh, and actually getting paid. So really in interesting opportunity to, to learn about a different aspect of the industry that, you know, I hadn't done before. So, so that was something. And then uh, I would say, you know, and I'm just touching on some of them here, but going back to the mm -hmm. soccer league, huge passion opportunity. You know, I grew up playing soccer. It was the sport that I kind of played 
the longest and was the best at definitely nowhere near national team level, but in terms of my, you know, little kid growing up uh, abilities, I was, it was definitely the sport I was best at of all that I tried. And, uh, and having seen uh, the women who were not far off from really being my contemporaries only a couple of years younger than me uh, at the time, win that first gold medal, the first time it was in the Olympics, um, NBC did not cover the full game. They've never heard the end of that. They just showed about a 20 minute highlight from it. Um, but to know that, that this could really be the beginning of something. And I'll tell you what was interesting is right when I kind of started working with them before I fully made a jump from IMG, went to a couple of games and, uh, what was really, really what drove the passion home for me was I watched the players that, you know, they, they were at that time playing at, you know, college stadiums that held like 5,000 people. And that they would stay after sign autographs for every single person that was there, however long it took. Um, but it was girls and boys asking for the autographs. Yes. And I said, okay, this is important because these are boys that are going to grow up with a very different attitude than boys that grew up 50 years ago. And the more we can help foster this and the more they can be just role models, just the way male athletes are role models to boys and girls, the better off we're all going to be. And I want to be a part of that. So that, that experience was a huge passion and also unique from the others in that it was really the first big one. So, so many things I had to learn. It was, you know, trial by fire on that one and, uh, and learned a lot about international sport politics, mm -hmm. which was, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think those are some differentiators and some common themes. So being kind of the pioneer, the entrepreneur, and I'll touch on women's soccer for a minute. Uh, one of our, our colleagues, Ray Katz, always talks about pioneers are the ones who go over the hill and get the arrows and the bullets in the back. Yep. Um, you now look at where women's sport has become, and we're here in a week at the end of August where NWSL goes to primetime on CBS, NCAA finally acknowledges uh, that, that March Madness is going to be something and we'll put it on the network on ABC. Uh, Premier Hockey Federation announces a two-year deal with, with ESPN. Um, where that was, lessons that they, I don't want to say kind of learned off the backs of what uh, women's professional, the first women's professional soccer league had, which you were a part of, um, lessons that they learned. Does that give you um, satisfaction to see where it is now and obviously still involved now with Athleta? Uh, or do you look at that and say, man, if we would have had those things, then what we could have done? <laughs> it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, uh -huh. I definitely a lot of pride in having been just, a, you know, played a small part in, you know, starting the ripple effect. That is really great. And um, love where we've gotten to be like, should have gotten there about 10 years ago. Um, but it's interesting. I was reading an article, maybe you saw it, Joe, earlier this week by Nancy Armour, um, where she kind of talked about this being like a shift with with the, in particular, the announcement um, uh, before the, the PHF announcement. So the other two announcements. Yeah. And, uh, and the one thing that I thought was interesting is that, you know, she sort of gave in to the comment about, but, you know, the men's leagues still have higher ratings. And I thought that's actually not, totally true i mean you look at like a regular weekday mlb game or a regular you know weeknight nhl game and then you look at some of the ratings that the wnba and the nwsl have been getting 
it's pretty darn good. And they got there so much faster. Now, partially they got there faster because the whole media landscape has accelerated. You know, I mean, NBA has been around 75 years. 75 years ago, we did not have the internet. We did not have streaming. We didn't have any of these things. Um, but still, they they got there super fast. Um, and so I think, you know, the sky is really the limit. What's interesting to me, too, is I think part of what has historically held them back, and it's not just getting onto the main networks, but but getting the the rights is is the advertising, right? Like it, the value to the networks is selling the advertising. And historically, I think there's been a misconception amongst brands that the the value in men's sports is reaching the male 18 to 34. And so they just assume, oh, a women's sport, it must be all women watching it. But like you will talk about like women's college basketball. It, yeah. There's as many men watching as watching men's college basketball. NCAA so softball, if, same thing. Yeah, happened this year. yeah. So if you if you if that's a demographic you feel you want to reach through sports, you should 100 percent 100 percent be putting advertising dollars to women's sports, and that will help fuel the interest from the networks and also potential rights fees that these leagues can get paid. And I think it's an education process on the brand side that has as much been holding back the media as just kind of blaming the media for not putting them on those platforms. So I think that's an interesting shift that needs to continue to change. And if we kind of come full circle, we have generations now that are getting into decision-making roles at brands as well as the media that are the ones that grew up watching folks like the 1999 Women's World Cup team and grew up themselves playing sports through Title IX and, um, and men that grew up with their sisters playing sports through Title IX, that I think there's a, finally we're getting to a place where there's more openness on the advertising side, which I think is why, I mean, you saw it with the NWSL announcement, part of that whole rationale was Ally Bank coming in. So I think that is a a really interesting trend to watch. And to me, that's really exciting. And so, yeah, I mean, sure, I, I think it's great. Of course, if we had that kind of support back, you know, 25 years ago, even better, but at least at least we're there now. So it's interesting you mentioned the brands, uh, and that can lead into kind of what Athlet is doing to support and also engage. Uh, but I remember, um, you know, this was something that people have always said. Well, the NBA should be paying more to grow women's, you know, women's basketball. The, you know, uh, MLS should be putting all the money in for. And and the argument that I've heard people make, which I think is valid, is this is not a charity. This is a business and you have to show the return. And the ones who actually should be putting the money in are the brand. So I give a lot of credit to Nick Kelly and Budweiser for putting the money into women's soccer and saying we're going in. And then that brought in several other brands. And that's how it's kind of grown over time. Uh, Just mentioning with the Allied Bank deal this week or the Allied Bank kind of enhancement of their deal to bring uh, the NWSL final um, to CBS in October in Washington. But um, so at Athleta, and we'll go back to fan control football before we let you go, but talk about Athleta as a company, what what is going on? Obviously there's a bigger picture, uh, a parent company involved now who purchased in. Um, and, and what is that vision to kind of help move this thing along for women's sports specifically or women's um, health and wellness more than anything else. Um, but how does that all fit in? And tell us about the partnership piece that you're working on. Sure. So Athleta is, is going to celebrate its 25th anniversary next year, 2023. It was started as its own independent startup brand as a catalog 
apparel mm. sales company and was purchased by Gap. And from there, around the same time, moved into, actually before that, moved into e-commerce. And then once the Gap purchase came through, uh, started to move into brick and mortar. So mm. we're up to about 230 stores around the U.S. now. We've got our first three stores in Canada. Uh, and we have a bit of a global presence uh, on the e-commerce side in Europe and a franchisee in, in Costa Rica and Central America. So we are um, definitely benefiting from some of the uh, the tailwinds from being owned by a larger company with some resources. But what you alluded to at the top, especially the last couple of years with the pandemic, and you know, we I think we were already heading in this direction of casual work attire but then we moved to work from home and the need for comfort in general, as people were, especially in the first year of the pandemic, feeling very isolated. So the rise of this athleisure concept, um, I think has have really, you know, exploded our trajectory as well as some of our competitors. But uh, from the very beginning, it's been a women, a women's product brand. It's been a women focused brand. Um, and as we look to continue to grow, we, are uh, aiming not only to be the apparel of choice for for women and girls, uh, but to also help uh, our customers on their overall well-being journey and think about other products and services that we can provide that help them get there. So one of the first stakes in the ground that we put was last summer, just before I joined uh, launching Athleta Well, which is our well-being platform and community it started initially in the digital space. It's going to expand in different ways. You'll see it manifest at our stores. You'll see it manifest in real life and with some of our partners um, and uh, and in products and services that, that we offer. So um, it's an interesting trajectory that's a little bit different than some of our competitors that maybe also started out as women-focused apparel brands and then moved to selling men's product. Um, and that's how they chose to grow. So we're trying to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace in that way. Um, the funny thing is, and that I talked to everybody when I was actually um, talking to Athleta about this position, which was created, it's a new position for the brand, was created last, last summer. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody said, oh, our, our first athlete sponsorship is Allison Felix, which they entered into uh, in 2019. And I said, that might be the case, but you may not realize, uh, because most of you were not here then, but you're one of your first sponsorships was actually the U.S. women's water polo team back yeah. in 2011 uh, when I was working there and uh, and we connected and you all actually partnered with us on all of their out of competition gear, all their work uh, dry land mm -hmm. workout gear and, and um, lifestyle gear. So that was actually my first business interaction with the brand it was over a decade ago, which is kind of fun and a little bit full circle as well. But um, but anyway, so uh Allison Felix relationship many have heard the story you know she became pregnant with uh, her daughter Cammy she did was not happy with her relationship with Nike at the time I will not go into all the details but um she was looking to figure out something else and uh one of my now former colleagues but who the woman who was head of PR at the time took the initiative and kind of reached out to um Allison's management and inquired about whether or not Athleta could support her. And for a long time now, our motto, I guess, has been power of she. And uh, our mission has been to empower women and girls to reach their limitless potential. So she felt like 
maybe we could do something for Allison. And that, you know, we're now three years in and it's been an amazing relationship with her. Again, a lot of the wheels set in motion long before I got here, but, um, but you know, Allison saw a need amongst many of her fellow track and field competitors that have big endorsement contracts or were newly coming out of college or, um, you know, trying to come back from having a child that they didn't have the funds even to care um, for their kids when they're tra traveling to international meets, training, competing. Uh, and so in conjunction with the Women's Sports Foundation, we had launched this Power of She Fund and we specifically launched child care grant support, support elite female athletes um, in any sport. And uh, and that's been hugely successful and, and from the perspective of really helping a lot of women and um, and allowing us to tell their stories as well. And so it's been it's a really neat way to approach a partnership that it's not transactional. It's just not one-to-one. -one. It's not, here's the contract. You need to have this many appearance days. We're going to pay you this much money, but it's a lot more holistic than that. Um, there is that impact piece. You know, she launched her Sage footwear brand about a year, year and a half ago at this point. And, um, and we've now invested in their series A. Wow. So um, that was a big commitment on Athleta's part as well. And I love that. I love that the brand is kind of standing for this is our partner. And as much as we're asking her to do for us, we're going to do for her. And I think that's really neat. And so uh, some the spring before I joined, they entered into agreements with Simone Biles and Alicia Keys as well. And, uh, and so I was brought in to kind of centralize our management uh, of those relationships and then think about big picture. You know, what do we want to do going forward to kind of build on this? So that's what myself and the team that I started to build. I have two folks on my team at this point. Uh, the team that I've started to build has um, has been working on, and we've also expanded the scope of what partnerships means to us, uh, just in terms of how we uh, create a framework for where we want to invest in supporting women and girls. And so there are um, brand alliances that we are entering into, and there are also some things that I would just traditionally call corporate sponsorships that we're doing. And then there are some additional individuals that we will partner with going forward as well, but always with this eye of what are the great, the very positive learnings we had, especially from the relationship with Allison in terms of this holistic approach. So, so we really are trying to think even thematically about other individuals that we might have joined. We, we've already been doing it and, and rolling things out with Alicia and Simone, but you know, how how do we work with women to make sure that they are ones who also want to partner with us to give back? And how are we going to integrate them into our Power of She Fund? And what things do they have going on in their lives beyond being an athlete or beyond being an entertainer? Um, are they are they moms? Are they uh, entrepreneurs? Are they um, advocates? Are they what are they doing? And what is important to them? And how do they how are they representative of the breadth of our customer base and so how can we support them not just them support us and amplify our our voice so we're trying to take a little bit more circumspect and holistic approach than uh than a rapid fire um you know sign as many athletes as you can to to get to some sort of critical mass got it um which is different than most most partnerships which is great i think you know that's you know the, the what's in it for both of us usually works out very well and i'm sure your consumer base hopefully will resonate to that as well um so let's go back just one more step and coming yep. into athletic fan control football which is now 
becoming fan controlled sports from what I've heard from a lot of different people. Um, couple lessons learned there, uh, other than having Johnny Manziel on the field and, and doing some of those things. But um, from beginning to end, when you look back on that, now where you are, um, three or four things you picked up from there that amazed you and uh, that you were able to take away from that startup to, you know, a substantial brand now and wherever your career will go going forward. Interesting question. So, you know, I think one thing I'll say is, and, and I've always, I felt it before, but it really substantiated is it's very important the team you build, the people that you work with, and you really need to believe in each other and trust each other. And, um, and, and we definitely had, uh, you know, some hiccups along the way. And, and I think it's very important to just, you know, be very thoughtful about your, you know, hiring process and making sure you're getting really the, the best team together. Because when people think about building a team and team chemistry, when they think about building a sports team, um, I don't know that they are always paying as much attention when they're building a set of employees, but really, if you think about them as a team and how everybody contributes, not just to what their role is, but to the overall chemistry, I think you end up with a situation where the sum is, um, you know, greater than its parts if you do it right, just the way you do on a, on a, a basketball team, a football team, a soccer team, whatever. So um, I think that's a, a really important thing to always think about, and especially if it's a startup situation, but um, but in, in general, I think in any business. So I think that's important. I think I still think their idea is phenomenal. And, you know, there it is um, uh, fan controlled sports and entertainment. Their next uh, foray adding on to football is going to be basketball. And I think the idea of trying to figure out all the possible ways that the fans can have a say still to me remains, um, you know, a defining concept. It's, it's about the technology. Yes. But what's interesting is you can see it playing out as, Oh, it's, you know, it's, you know, teens and 20 somethings that think it's cool to play video games that think this is cool. From the beginning, I always said, I'm a sports fan. I sit there on Sunday, I watch football and I'm screaming at the TV every weekend. Why the heck did we call that play? We should have run the ball. Of course that pass was incomplete. And now we have to punt. You know, I think I'm smarter than Bill Belichick, right? Of course I'm not, but just like every other fan out there, that's what we're thinking. And so for me, it was that opportunity for the fan to live that fantasy, not just pick a roster in a fantasy league, but actually live the fantasy of being the coach that I think is so differentiated and defining and, and interesting about what they're doing. And the more they can continue to capitalize on that concept and plug fans in and, and use technology to give them all the different ways to make those decisions and, and live with the results of those choices, I think the better off they'll be. And I think that's what's super exciting. That's what got sponsors interested and, and thinking that it was a different thing to take a flyer on. That's what, um, you know, got uh, the different media partners interested and in, in, um different kind of way to tell the story. And so I, I think, you know, having a really good idea is really important too. Um, understanding where the market is going, I think that's crucial. And so uh, I've been very impressed with with that piece of it. I'll tell you, when I first joined, they were already talking about blockchain and crypto and NFTs and initial coin offerings from the minute I taught the very first conversation I had with them before I even started. And then, you know, 
that whole area went through a course correction over the course of like 2018 when the SEC got involved in certain things. And then it's now come back around to like the entire world is talking about NFTs. And I will tell you that the FCF founders, they were ahead of it. And mm. I understand it at the time. I'm not even sure I understand it now, yeah. but, uh, but they, but they definitely, there's vision there. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think that's an interesting thing to be on the lookout for when you're, um, you know, thinking about something entrepreneurial. So I, I like to think I'm thinking ahead and on top of things and, and whatnot, but, um, but uh, I, I thought they were really, really good with that. Cool. Two last questions before we get to our two last questions. One <laughs> is uh, knowing that this is the right time versus being way ahead. And it seems like, and I've been down this road too, you know, if I would have known then or, you know, being there way ahead, I said the title of my next book is going to be, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, but how do you know going into an entrepreneurial situation that this is actually the right time versus five years ahead? And then the other part is the money side. You've gone through a lot of fundraising over, over your time. You've raised a lot of money in a lot of different places with properties, big and small. How do you go into a uh, an, an opportunity with someone ready to write you a check or potentially write you a check and know how to kind of craft what the message is that they want to do. So how do you, what's the best practices in raising the money and how do you know if this is the right time to kind of jump off the cliff? Well, your first question is a humdinger because sadly, I think a few times now I've been too far ahead. I know um, the feeling. Yeah. And I, I don't have an answer to that. I wish yeah. that I did. Um, I do think that if is, you can- is luck, out, is luck a lot of it? Or is it the people that you're around? No, I was going to say, I think your second question is like kind of plays a role in it because even if you're a little too far ahead, if you can find the money, yeah. like the, the market can catch up to you. Um, and so earlier in my life, I did not have the connections that I, nor the savvy almost. Uh, I think I was a little naive in certain situations. Um, I did not have the savvy to really close down or lock down those um, dollars in the way that had I been able to, I think being too early wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been too early. We could have figured out how to, how to get the two lines to cross. So um, I think it's really interesting that you ask both questions at the same time, because I do think in a little bit, they, they do intersect. And so I, I don't know that there's a magic bullet to the, the, the fundraising piece. I would say the way I've always thought about whether it's, you know, selling a sponsorship or trying to raise an investor um, the number one thing I start with is actually listening, not selling, right? Find out why they're even talking to you. What do they think is interesting or different? Why did they give you 20 minutes? Um, how can you solve a need for them? How can you make them happy about something? I mean, early on, um, one of the, the biggest folks that we got involved in women's soccer, his, all of his excitement was because his daughter was a soccer player. That's mm -hmm. the piece that I needed to understand, right? Um, or when we signed Wendy's at fan control football, it was understanding that they really were very uh, focused on Twitch as a platform and very much wanting to do things that no one else had done yet in the fast food space. So being creative with integrating those two things and figure out then what the pitch is to them. And then, you know, they sponsored through the first couple of years. And so I think listening is really to me the key, all the other, if you know, 
then you literally have your blueprint for what you're going to present back. So um, to me, that that's what I've um, learned to do. And then I would say that only the other second piece of that is just, you know, um, getting older. My network is pretty darn large at this point. Um, so also kind of knowing where to hunt for the fish, <laughs> so to speak, is um, is something else that uh, that I've um, feel like I'm in a better place now. I will say, because I think your listeners should realize this, there's a there's a really shocking stat to me, which is of all the venture capital money out there, only two percent goes to businesses that have primarily female founders, mm-hmm. and women make up fifty percent of the population, and honestly, more than fifty percent of people founding businesses. That doesn't mean they're they're less than 50% of looking for venture capital, but out there starting small businesses, women are starting them, start them at a faster rate than men. And the fact that when, if they try to go get institutional money, that they're only getting it at a rate of 2% to 98% is unfathomable to me. And um, anything that I can do to help try to figure out a way to convince people that that is not the right um, situation to help other women entrepreneurs that come later uh, is something that, you know, I, I want to be able to do. Cool. Um, last two questions, which we ask everyone are, with all the things that you touch on, how do you stay up to date with what it is that you need to know on a day-to-day basis or even looking forward? And you touched on so much advice. Uh, so other than asking you what advice you give, what's the best advice you ever got? And who was it from? So those are the two questions. Oh, goodness. Okay. Staying up to date. I mean, I, I get too many newsletters, email newsletters every day. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and they all, they touch on different things. Um, you know, front office sports is interesting. Sportico is interesting. Mm-hmm. Hashtag sports is interesting. There's so many. You guys know all of them. Um, and so I definitely get some information there. I try to actually get information outside of the sports industry more from on the brand side, just understanding what other brands are doing. And especially when I was doing corporate sponsorships, but you know, it's like um, ad age and, and those kind of folks um, just to keep up with reading things. I'll, I'll tell you, I will admit to something that people make fun of me for, which is I actually read the USA today. Now, a lot of people like to think that, yes, that they like, are wait, very- like the physical version or like the yes. online version. No, the physical version. First of all, you I actually I, get a cop. Where do you find a copy of USA Today? They deliver it to my house. I get it every wow, day. You're the one. Congratulations. I'm the only one they have left, which is why they have no more advertisers. But um, I will tell you why. Because, well, first of all, I find it a little bit easier. I like the curated aspect of the print publication. Yeah. They're telling me what's the lead story. It, it, online, it's it, on a website, it's a little bit of a mishmash. So, mm-hmm. um, and I also find on my <laughs> my getting older eyes, it's a little bit easier to read uh, in print, but um, not to totally date myself and make myself sound like I'm, a, um, uh, you know, in my 80s. But uh, but um, but what I what I've always felt about the USA Today um, is this is a really weird plug. First of all, it's national in scope. So as opposed to getting the L.A. Times and being provincial to what's going on here or uh, getting the Wall Street Journal, which has um you know a sort of uh, i don't know the right word for it but like an elitist approach to things um i've always wanted to know what is going on in america because to me again that's listening 
Like what are people, what is happening to people in Indiana? What are mm-hmm. people in um, Florida up in arms about? What sport is resonating with people in New Mexico? That to me is how as a marketer or somebody out there trying to work with brands or now work for a brand, I think it's important to know that. And so, um, so I've always thought that it's a good idea to sort of figure out how to have your pulse, like your finger on the pulse of what's going on outside of your bubble. And -hmm. I also feel with the internet and social media and other things, we, although we all know all those algorithms feed us what's in our bubble already. So something like this, that is much broader in scope and more mainstream. Um, Which, what sports stories are they talking about in the USA today? Because that's the ones that, not my little group that thinks like this is important, but this is what they're telling America is important. I think it's important. It to me, that's what's interesting to know about. So a lot of people make fun of me. A lot of my, a lot of my snobby Ivy League friends think it's ridiculous. Uh, but um, but but I think that's an interesting place to get news. So if now all of your uh, students subscribe, maybe you'll help it it stay in business. But I, um, I love. I it's funny like. Obviously, anybody who's ever been to a hotel, not in the last three years, that's where you yeah. got USA Today. Yeah. And you can't buy it in, in Penn Station in New York anymore, no. um, which is really interesting that you say that because, like, I was in a hotel this past week, and on the bottom shelf, they actually had the Wall Street Journal and the USA Today, the print editions, like, they were hidden. You had to know where to look to get them. Yeah. And I did, and I always I always walk away with something. Like, I get – I literally sitting on my floor here, I have the – print edition of sports illustrated which comes out once a month but has outstanding articles now they're yep. probably a couple of weeks old but they're great but yep. anyway that's yep. great to see okay um so that was so the that, best then, advice you ever got too by the way let's not forget that i know but this is a hard one that i can't i'm yeah. trying to have trouble thinking about uh the worst advice you ever got no just kidding <laughs> i don't know it's not exactly advice but mm. um when i was when i was at usa water polo um Greg Meskel, uh, who's a great guy, who was who's been their director of communications there for a very long time now. Um, when I was hired, he essentially then had to report to me, and um, and after working together for quite a while, and I'll paraphrase because I don't remember exactly how he said it, but what he what he basically said was um, that those working for me uh, really appreciated that I was in the trenches with them. Like if I said mm-hmm. we've got junior Olympics happening and everybody's going to get there at six in the morning to make sure everything looks right at the venue. I wasn't showing up four hours later to just kind of check on it. I was showing up and making sure that I was part of the process. And uh, to me um, at a point where I was continuing to like become more and more of a leader, it was important for me to understand. It's not just about what you say. It's also about your actions, Mm -hmm. how you can lead by example and how you can set a good example. And I've, that has stuck with me a lot in the last, mm-hmm. and he doesn't probably even know that I, you know, uh, think about this. Yeah. You should, you should for sure. I'm gonna... Tell him to listen all the way to the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but it stuck with me and I've, um, and, I, and I think about that, you know, in different instances and as I try to approach things and I, and I like that in, um, you know, some, someone as well. I never really thought about it um, specifically, but a leader that I might have, but, but I think about it when I'm leading other people. Hmm, that's great. And then uh, the last question, although we could <laughs> go on for hours, um, where do people, 
how do people find more about Athleta, what Athleta is doing, and and you know where can they find you and, and follow some of you know your journeys, which have been amazing. Yeah, well, LinkedIn is a great place. Yep. Uh, when I when I first when it first launched, I did not like the user interface, and I vowed I would never join, and uh, and now it's like a lifeblood. So um, people can can find me there. They can also find out the latest business news um, and partnership news um, from uh, from Athleta, and uh, you know I post things as well. And mm-hmm. then uh, you know our website, our app, mm-hmm. Athleta.com, uh, is great. And uh, I think I think those are the main places. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Well, you know, like you said, Jen, there, there's probably four more of these that we could come back and do, and it's. <laughs> Um, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. You've had such an amazing career and have touched on so many areas and the, you know, the being there a little bit early and watching kind of, you know, things come around the corner is, is really good. It's funny. The advice someone asked me as we're getting back to school, they're like, what advice do you give to young people? And I always tell them, marry rich. That's the easiest way because money can solve a lot of that. So, um, but anyway, on that That's note, amazing. um, Jen Rottenberg, the head of partnerships for Athleta, thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. We can't wait to follow more about your journey, both here and wherever you're going to be going in the future. And, and now we'll think back on some of the uh, the places that you've been and where they are going to, because you certainly helped kind of seed all those things as they came along. Joe, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you're one of the, the OGs here, and I've always appreciated uh, uh, everything about what you've done in your career and the coverage that you give to all kinds of folks. And, and uh, it's been great uh, chatting with you today. I appreciate it. Cool. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show, our guest, Jen Rottenberg. Uh, I am Joe Favorito for our producer, Sam Marks, and my co-host in absentia, Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.